Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, September 27th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, and I am thrilled to welcome my guest, Dr. Thomas Barodi. Dr. Barodi is the founder and medical director of the Center for Digestive Diseases in Sydney, Australia. Professor Barodi has established novel therapies in gastrointestinal areas such as inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome, parasite infestation, resistant H. pylori, and C. difficile. Professor Barodi has over 200 articles and abstracts and is a reviewer for many esteemed medical journals. Our topic today, fecal bacteria therapy. Welcome, Dr. Barodi. Thank you very much, Terry. Dr. Barodi, let's start with exploring just very generally what types of gastrointestinal flora are able to cause disease that has adverse neurological and behavioral consequences? Well, we don't really know what types of flora because we don't know flora very well. But we can say that gastrointestinal flora can manufacture substances that can cause profound neurological disease, probably the best example is that of Clostridium botulinum, where uh, Clostridium botulinum type E manufactures the toxin, better known as Botox commercially, and it can diffuse out of the colon and cause profound inhibition of uh, neuromuscular transmission. But there are other situations where we now know that molecules, especially toxins, manufactured in the gut flora can affect neurological transmission and function in the brain itself Um, and um, we feel that uh, in situations such as chronic fatigue syndrome and fogginess which is what I deal with quite a bit um, that that is um, an area of of real future activity and I think autism is one such area as well especially the uh, late onset regressive type autism um, after a lot of antibiotics had been used and um, I think generally speaking uh, we may be seeing in the future Parkinson's disease being caused by um, by neurotoxins traveling up the nerves, up axonal streaming. And we're just presenting a case in Washington in, in a few weeks where a patient had um, myoclonus dystonia, which completely reversed with um, treatment of gastrointestinal flora. So we can run through a number of different conditions that we know about, and there's probably many others we don't. 
thank you for that excellent answer. And I know you've alluded to this in your answer, but this is a new concept to many of our listeners. Why would anything going on in the gut translate to anything going on in the brain? Can we break it down a little bit? Well, the gut um, it contains the largest organ of the body, uh, which is it's a virtual organ, which are gut bacteria. There are nine times more living cells approximately in our flora, our gut flora, the microbiome, uh, than, than there are in the entire body. So, in fact, we're kind of 10% human and 90% poo. And so this, this huge organ, which is um, uh, metabolically very active, is capable and produces millions of different molecules. And some of those molecules are active or, or can block or excite um, nerves. And so if any of that escapes into the bloodstream or travels up by external streaming or produces molecules that produce antibodies to, to these molecules that seem to cross-react with our tissues elsewhere, you could get a gut-driven effect upon the brain and, of course, other um, other mechanisms as well involved. Well put. Now, you began to talk about autism, and let's get back to that. There were studies from Dr. Sidney Feingold and colleagues that described differences in the fecal microflora of children with more and less severe autism. Can you please tell us about this? Well, Sid Feingold and I are good friends, and we think along the same lines, but... Um, he is probably the world's best anaerobic microbiologist and he described differences where in children with regressive autism, especially late onset autism, he could demonstrate a marked increase in the clostridia, the spore-forming bacteria, and the total geometrical number analyzed was about tenfold higher. In his paper, he described that he had like over 23 species of clostridia in the, in the autistic children versus 15 in the, the control group. And so he postulated that since clostridia produce neurotoxins, and we're all aware of things like clostridium tetani, which produces toxin, clostridium welshite, perfringens, clostridium deniseal, which is sweeping America with an epidemic that kills people and it produces toxin A, B, and, and the third toxin recently described. So we know that clostridia are toxin producers and poorly studied because no one's focusing on the bowel flora as a potential etiological area in autism. Right? We focus on diets and behavioral modification. All right. So um, it sounds like the quantity or the types of the microorganisms in the gut um, influenced the manifestations or the symptoms in type or severity. So how, um, how exactly do the bugs exert their pathological effect? And you're talking about C. difficile, um, C. tetani, and what are the particularly nasty things that they can do physiologically and behaviorally? Well, with Clostridium botulinum, for example, uh, this is the most powerful toxin known in the world. If you have enough of that and you only need nanogram amounts, it can kill you and it kills children, and that's uh, infantile botulism. Uh, the other evidence we have, if I could just add it here, Sid Feingold also carried out a study where, with an index case, using an anti-clostridial treatment, which is called vancomycin, a very, very safe drug orally, he was able to suppress, profoundly suppress, the production of toxins. And children's behavior became so much better within a week or two. So we know both from measuring these things, which, by the way, is a very poor measure because we have over 3.3 million different 
absolutely right. I was going to ask you what kind of direction might all of this give us for treatment? Well, I think we have to work on the flora itself. There should be some research directed at further elucidating the types of clostridia now that we have better and better methods of going deeper into the levels of the genetic structure. Uh, you need to know that we can't culture many of these bugs. We can, uh, we can detect them with the sort of DNA technology, which has recently uh, become uh, you know, really expanded. Um, but what we don't have is how to grow them, how to find out about them, because we don't know the culture plate to make one grow and the other billion stop growing, in a manner of speaking. That's where the research will be going. And the other way we can treat is to actually attempt to change the flora of, of children to that of, of a normal donor. And we're going to talk about that uh, a bit more when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you know if kidney disease is affecting you? Are your kidneys healthy? You may have kidney disease and not even be aware of it. 26 million people have been affected by kidney disease. Teenagers today are being diagnosed with symptoms such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. These conditions can worsen kidney health and cause kidney disease. Be sure to tune in to improve your kidney health with your host, Dr. Rich Snyder, every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The information you get on this program could help save your life. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Terry. 
We are back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Thomas Barodi, the founder and director of the Center for Digestive Diseases in Sydney, Australia. And Dr. Barodi, before we go any farther, can you please let listeners know what your website address is? Um, it's cbd.com.au. Uh, it stands for Center for Digestive Diseases, cbd.com.au. Okay, very good. Before the break, we were giving some background information about different pathogens that exist in the gastrointestinal tract um, and how they affect uh, other bodily systems, and with particular regard to children with autism. But now, uh, and you alluded to uh, replenishing the gut with um, the correct uh, microbiota. Let's now talk about, in a very general sense, fecal bacteriotherapy or human probiotic infusions. Can you please first share what that is? Okay, fecal bacteriotherapy, or as you mentioned, the other name, these names now have to be replaced because of consensus uh, in the U.S. Uh, on a 12-person committee uh, that decided um, the new nomenclature, and it's now called FNT, or fecal microbiota transplant. The FNT is the new term that uh, eclipses the old terms, and it is simply the removal of a person's pre-existing infected flora and replacement with that of a donor flora, and uh, that's just what it is. We can do it various ways, we've discussed this, by enemas or transglonoscopic infusion, but uh, it's simply the replacement um, of the new flora by, you know, by removing the old. All right, and is there a history in the published literature for this intervention? Well, yes, it started several hundred years ago in animals. The veterinarians were doing it. The first recorded uh, implant was carried out in 1957 in the U.S. for antibiotic-induced diarrhea, pseudomembranous colitis, which is to kill 75% of people. But in four cases then published, um, four out of four patients walked out of intensive care where the post-enema uh, recovery was within a day or so, and that's what it's been like ever since. So we do a lot of treatment over the last, uh, you know, since 1950, over 60 years, uh, because we have been damaging our flora for 60 years with antibiotics as they became available in 1950. Now, um, a lot of, we, we also called this human probiotic infusions. So um, are there precedents for using probiotics in general to restore gastrointestinal and overall health? And what are the mechanisms whereby probiotics help? Well, probiotic infusion is what the term we generated here. Um, but originally, the probiotics which were brought to light um, were popularized by Mechnikov back in 1908 when he wrote a book on the extension of human life. And he kind of got it wrong, but he got it right at the same time. And he created quite an impression in Europe to the extent that we had yogurt cafes rather than coffee shops. And so um, we kind of got led astray because he was of the belief that uh, Bulgarians lived longer and um, you know, he went over there and they actually didn't live longer. And he felt that's because they ate yogurt, so he started producing lactobacilli and bifidobacteria and he took us you know, into the wilderness. But the probiotics that we need are the ones in the human flora, not the ones that he cultured. They are the minority and actually don't have much of an impact. So we don't use oral probiotics for two reasons. Firstly, the few and far between, they make no difference in controlled trials. Millions of people think that they are good and they spend their 
doing the entire complement. And the second very major reason is that once you start culturing probiotics or bacteria, they stop implanting. So it's a damaged probiotic if you buy it from the shop. We don't use it. Do we really have any idea of the diversity of organisms in the human gut? How rich is human fecal flora in living bacterial cells? This area is just undergoing a revolution. Uh, a recent paper showed that these number of institutions had to do this. It's not a single author, there were like 50 authors. And, and numerous institutions around the world that were able to study uh, with fairly deep um, primers the genetic structure and produce a catalog. And it demonstrated, and they used the figure 3.3 million different genetic and uh, non redundant signatures that they found. So it's far more complex than we thought in the past. And we're just beginning to understand its complexity. But of those, you know, 0.1% is all we can culture. Okay, so when, um, when you're looking for a donor for the fecal microbiota transplant um, and you're trying to make sure that they're a suitable donor, how do we know what to look for or what not to look for in the samples? Yeah, we do not look for the composition. There is no place in the world that can examine composition, so don't spend your money on that. It's just not worth going. There are places of culture, there are places that use genetics, and it's simply a business and doesn't help the patient, so don't go there. What we can find is on the occasion parasites, we can find overgrowth with Clostridium difficile, and things like Campylobacter aeromonas if you've got chronic diarrhea. But we do not yet have a place where you can send your stool and have it analyzed for the composition like you can do with blood. And so for donors, we simply ask if they had been using recurrent antibiotics, what their bowel function is, do they have one form stool per day, they have abnormal blood test, abnormal stool test for parasites and common pathogens, and that's how we select our donor. And recently, the Infectious Diseases Society, the American College of Gastroenterology, and the American Gastroenterology Association came together and formed a committee. I was one of the 12 people who were honored to be on the committee, and we've recently published guidelines on how to select the donor. And so uh, the guidelines are there to the best of our scientific knowledge. You, you measure what you can, but there's always a small chance that there might be some little pathogen that we've never come across, uh, but that chance is extremely rare, having done about 1,600 in implants ourselves, and many, many around the world, there has not yet been one publication of, a, of an implantation of the pathogen. Wow, that is pretty impressive, and I should let listeners know that you are uh, the world expert on this uh, procedure, fecal microbiota transplant, so please tell our listeners about your work and the work of the Center for Digestive Diseases. Well, as many things, it all started by chance. There was a, uh, a young lady about 25 years ago, Josie, who had been totally normal. work of the Center for Digestive Diseases. Well, as many things, it all started by chance. There was a, uh, a young lady about 25 years ago, Josie, who had been totally normal when she, she went to, to Fiji for a holiday. And she came back with a gastrointestinal disorder characterized by diarrhea, cramping, bit of constipation, uh, bloating, nausea, and she just was so ill. And I think I was the eighth gastroenterologist. And so in the past, we used to believe that stress and diet had something to do with this condition, which looked like irritable bowel syndrome. Of course, we now know that irritable 
hard-working girl that ran a real estate shop. And so uh, I came across this 1958 paper, and had I not read the paper, I would not have carried out my first fecal transplant, which was dramatically successful. And in fact, looking back on her histology, she was actually the first colitis patient that we reversed because she had visible colitis on histology and occasionally patchy on, on visible colitis on colonoscopy. But he was a person that went to Fiji, caught a pathogen that we could not detect, but infusion of her brother's flora, and we only did two days of infusions on Mother's Day, May, the next day, Sunday. And then I flew out to a conference that was then called the AGA conference, which happened to be in New Orleans. And I was so concerned uh, that I had done something that I'd never done before. I called her from there. And in those years, it was so difficult to get through an international call. Finally, I got through and she thought she was cured. And that was tremendous. You know, I told my, my old mentor uh, from my clinic that we think we've done something dramatic because he was not believed that IBS would be reversed. But she has remained extremely well. She got her job back. She became a totally normal person. And she, in fact, sent some of her family members, which we didn't do, of course, but she, she was so impressed how the life had changed. So from then on, it was just downstream that we started doing patients. We had CTPCL, severe diarrhea, and, and predominantly or bowel syndrome. And then we discovered that constipation, the common constipation in the street, is caused by a different bug, a different constriction, which paralyzes your bowel nerves. So let's stop here. Wow. Okay. So we've established that... Uh, fecal microbiota transplant has helped ulcerative colitis, constipation, what's called irritable bowel syndrome, and inflammatory bowel disease. And earlier in the show, we talked about pathogen, pathogens and the mechanisms by which they cause damage. So insofar as those mechanisms by which the pathogens can cause damage, do the diseases like autism, arthritis, and multiple sclerosis share anything in common? Firstly, let's just be sure that you can't cure everything, every person in those sub subgroups, because uh, each condition probably has two or three different uh, etiologies. Um, usually one predominates, and if I can just go back to the pylori when we developed the triple therapy back in 84, not all ulcers are caused by helicobacter. It just so happens that 95% of duodenal ulcers or more were then caused by helicobacter. The other 5% was caused by 15 other causes. So in the same way, irritable bowel syndrome symptoms, constipation, probably has numerous causes, but the great majority is caused by one or two. And with autism, there's probably different types of autism. I'm not an autism expert, but get this straight, I'm a gastroenterologist. I just happened to stray into bowel flora therapy and it proved positive, so we only treated nine children so far. But, but in, in all these conditions, the underlying mechanism has something to do with pathogen or pathogens that seem to cause either a non-inflammatory, non-invasive or invasive abnormality in the, in the bowel wall. So with the oral bowel syndrome, it, this is a very minimal inflammation of the colon wall. In ulcerative colitis, there is penetration of mucosa with intramucosal, intracellular pathogens detectable on the um, laser confocal microscopy, for example. Um, Crohn's disease, which we don't even know if it will respond yet, we've done three so far, it's much more full thickness, penetrating disease, and autism uh, has a sort of collection of different gastrointestinal complaints in a subset of autistic children. So I think the common feature there is that there are bugs which are pathogens that live in the flora and affect us in different fashions. All right. And uh, before we break, uh, 
why do you consider fecal bacteria therapy or what you're now calling fecal microbiota transplant a more optimal method for mitigating gut dysbiosis and pathology? Well, because it takes the normal complement of bacteria and it tends to implant it into the recipient's luminal contents to try and change the sick flora into a healthy flora. I think it's the simplest answer. Uh, with the hope that when you do have a health and healthy flora, that the sick flora caused at least some of the symptoms and the patient will get better. All right. And uh, we will be right back from break. If our listeners would like to look at Dr. Thomas Barodi's website while we are on break, his website address is www.cdd.com.au. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth, and we will be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Thomas Barodi of the Center for Digestive Diseases in Sydney, Australia, and we are having the most fascinating discussion 
about fecal microbiota transplant. And before the break, Dr. Burdi, you were beginning um, to talk about how this is done. So if you could please, for our listeners, um, describe the preparation and procedure and the routes of administration that you alluded to earlier in the program. But I know that you also, um, first you kind of clean out the gut, and I've heard that or that oral antibiotics are used, but what's the difference between those antibiotics and the antibiotics that got folks in trouble in the first place? Okay, so I'll probably talk about the antibiotics that caused problems in the first place. Uh, we've been using antibiotics for, for 50, 60 years, and whenever you treat a tooth that's infected, you're also treating the bowel flora. By treating, meaning that you're destroying part of it, which doesn't uh, always come back to normal. And so uh, it damages this huge collection of bacteria, which are protective. They actually are there, as Van der Waal described back in 89, to, to give us what's called colonization resistance. Whenever we eat food, whatever food, you always have bugs going down the, the chute, you know. But we don't implant every day. We don't change our, we don't get diarrhea or constipation every day. We eat a meal that contains bugs. And that is because our bowel flora produces so many antibiotics or antimicrobial agents. Some of them are called bacteriocins. So they prevent you implanting all these bugs that are coming down the gut. However, when you damage that, that colonization resistance, when you suppress it with antibiotics, it's much easier to implant. And so we have fractured, damaged flora with families of bacteria missing sometimes. The best example is what happens in patients who've got clostridium difficile. They are missing. Imagine in a map of Europe, you've got missing, um, you know, those old maps of different colored countries. You're missing, say, Switzerland and the Netherlands, and they're just not there. Like, the two ones that have been well described in virtually all Cidicacil patients who've got relapsing Cidicacil is absence of bacteroides and thermocuties. And then when we restore the flora, of course, these two come back and they're visible and detectable. So yes, the antibodies cause the damage. However, just before we infuse, we try to suppress as many bacteria as we can to try and get the best uh, implantation. It's like removing the front lawn and then putting new lawn down. That's, that was our idea. Now let's underline that we don't have trials to show whether that is important or unimportant and people have shown that you can do this without flushing out the bowel, without using antibiotics. So it's not yet established that we are doing something that is necessary, but teleologically, the way we think, we feel that it should be done. That's how we've been using treatment. Okay, and then the actual um you know, procedure, routes of administration? Okay. Well, initially, the first person we ever did, we followed what was done in 58. We had a donor stool collected. We actually collected in an anaerobic container, which means no oxygen. And the reason there is no oxygen is that um, these bugs, especially the important ones, bacteroides and thermocuties, notice not lack the bacillus, not bifidobacteria. They're not important. The important ones are the ones that we know are missing after antibiotics. So these bugs hate oxygen. They get actually oxygen shock. So we tend to have the, as minimally exposed to oxygen as possible. It's not that crucial, though, because people do their own home infusions at home with recurrent enemas for colitis, so it works pretty well even if you do expose some oxygen. So we take the, the, the stool, homogenize it in the common kitchen blender, filter it with a common kitchen metal filter, then we suck this up with the syringes and we inject it through a colonoscope into the cecum. This is a single shot infusion in patients who've got chronic cedificeal, and this is the easiest infection to, to, to fix. We get well over 
for a week. We flushed them out, give them infusion after infusion, and after 10 days of enemas down in our clinic, they can defecate on their own. But not all. We get a cure in no more than that 40%. And we ask ourselves, why not? We don't know the answers. With ulcerative colitis, for example, we have to do recurrent infusions, possibly for two months before they completely turn the corner, their hemoglobin rises, they stop having urgency diarrhea. And when we look in the colon every few weeks, we're noticing that the lining of the colon starts growing back to normality, starting at the rectum and goes up at the sigmoid, etc. So there are three different conditions I've described, I won't go into others, that the treatment differs. But the message is that we have to create a milieu, a content, an atmosphere of normal bowel flora for the walls to, to recover. Well, I, it is really quite gratifying when clinical results uh, match laboratory tests. Uh, I know that you were talking about Dr. Sidney Feingold's work earlier, too, with the kids, and it sounded like uh, the biomarkers that he was finding through the therapy that he was doing were matching w with the, um, the clinical presentation of the patients. Was that the case? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, just re sort of re the, reformat that question again um, to make it easier for everyone to hear again. I really, I really like it when clinical results match what we're finding in lab or diagnostic tests. But Feingold was not able to show that. Well, the only time that can, you can show there's a bug present, is that what you mean? And then you treat and there's a bug absent, is in the CD to seal. That is most satisfying because the patients are so much better and the bug is gone. Right. In the children, and you know, you can access that paper, I think, uh, Listeners could obtain it from me called Short Term Benefit from Oral Vancomycin in Treatment of Regressive on Onset Autism. Um, Sid Feingold did not look at Clostridia before and after and said, This is the one that's gone. What he did notice, however, is the children's behavior dramatically changed. Okay? For example, the, in the index case, case said that um, after the lethargy the, that happened initially, he became affectionate, relatively calm. Increased vocabulary, follow-up behavior observation after eight weeks, noted increase in on-task performance, compliance with parental requests, awareness of environmental surroundings, and persistence when engaging in positive activities. There was a reduction in repetitive and self-stimulatory behaviors, etc. He was able to measure that. It was a blinded study. Um, would you like me to talk to you about our uh, children with autism that we have treated, not with fecal implantation because it's too, we don't do this in children unless you have a general anesthetic. Uh, we did this with single culture, multiple clostridia, thermocuteus and bacteroides. Um, yes, thank you. I just yeah. want to clarify for one minute, was that after Dr. Feingold used vancomycin? No, we, we stumbled across that by mistake. This was done many years ago. Okay. Um, right. Sid Feingold published in 2000, we did this about four or five years prior to that. That's only because we discovered that vancomycin reverses constipation dramatically. And I had the first patient, little David, was brought along. And he wouldn't poo for three days, then he'd produce a battleship, as they called it. And then he would, at, during the night, he would just smear it over the walls. I mean, it's an awful thing to say, but the parents, I don't know how they survived. Um, and so David was brought along, and he was really difficult to control in my consult room, to the extent that I had to sort of hold him down a little bit, which was surprising, but the parents just sat there, and, and he was destroying my bookshelves. So, I gave him vancomycin because that's what we used for constipation prior.
psychiatry and plantation. When he came back next week, his behaviour already changed dramatically. And the parents couldn't believe it. I mean, they brought me a bottle of wine, you know, which is something. They, they noticed that some treatment is working and I was not treating his mind. I had no idea about this. I just treated his poo. And so we suppressed the clostridium that was causing his constipation and we must have inadvertently also suppressed something else. So after that, I thought, well, it's very expensive to use bactomycin long term. So we cultured up, you know, we had a laboratory and a microbiologist working closely with us. We cultured a number of innocuous, that means harmless, bacteroides um, species and, um, and tridia, non-pathogenic clostridia. And then they, the children were eating um, bacteria, which smelled like poo, actually, a little liquid that was scraped from, from culture plates and that was mixed with chocolate, um, yogurt or chocolate milk. And progressively, the word ability, a little data was like 25 words, he went to over 800. That was the best res result we had. Wow. They had these probi probiotics already. Notice probiotics that were not cultured repetitively. Repeated culture changes the genetics as it does if you look at great-great-grandchild versus the original father. They look different. Best way to understand it. So if you supply these missing components of flora somehow, they suppress, as we do with CDPCL, they suppress the clostridia that seem to be responsible for these behavioral changes. And so, um, you know, I applied for grants. No one believed me. I did not get a grant to do this. I thought I'd stick with my knitting and continue working with adult gastroenterology, but we're restarting the program, which I'll tell you about in a moment, and, and if you have any other questions, I'll then tell you later. Yeah, do you have any uh, any other observations you'd like to share about your work with uh, kids diagnosed with autism before we move forward to that? Well, no, because that was a while ago. We're now working up towards the second round of treatment in autistic children with a pediatrician who's becoming interested and involved. But what I wanted to add is that we are moving away from uh, filtered poo and we just uh, have a lab being built downstairs all the jackhammers and stuff and making noise two weeks ago and uh, we'll be doing um, uh, extraction of flora so that we can have pure bacteria um, con containing uh, the, the virtual organ because we've seen rheumatoid arthritis reversed especially early rheumatoid arthritis where you don't have this damaged hand We've got one case we're presenting in the American College meeting um, in early November in Washington of an autoimmune disease called in idiopathic thrombocytes pedipurpura. And it again was a chance finding. We were treating a patient with colitis. Her colitis went away and her platelets went up from about 40,000 to 240 progressively. So there's probably going to be a number of um, um, autoimmune conditions which may well uh, improve as we manipulate the flora. And this is very much just the beginning of research. This is going to open doors to many people around the world, um, and has already, but just progressively enlarging the interest in the gut flora as a potential area of pathology causing uh, mechanisms. Well, it is of the greatest importance. We're going to take a brief break and come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Oxy Health. We will be right back. Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you know if kidney disease is affecting you? Are your kidneys healthy? You may have kidney disease and not even be aware of it. 26 million people have been affected by kidney disease. 
Teenagers today are being diagnosed with symptoms such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. These conditions can worsen kidney health and cause kidney disease. Be sure to tune in to improve your kidney health with your host, Dr. Rich Snyder, every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The information you get on this program could help save your life. Are you living your vital life? One that is showcasing you at your full potential? There are many issues that stand in the way of most people achieving their full potential. We will discuss these issues and how to overcome them each week on The Vital Life, Awakening Your Full Potential, with host Dr. Carolyn Coker-Ross. Living the vital life often requires that we trust our own intuitive voice and that we view illness or life challenges as calls to action to reconnect with the deeper urges of our spirit or soul. Tune in Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Thomas Barodi of the Center for Digestive Diseases in Sydney, Australia whose website is www.cdd.com.au. I really encourage listeners to visit the site. He's doing groundbreaking, earth-shattering, vital research. And um, Dr. Brody, we're beginning to talk about the research priorities going forward, but I'd like to backtrack just a little bit and ask you how stable the implantation and recolonization of beneficial flora is. That's a very good question because anybody wants to know why do it if it doesn't last. So we, three years ago, embarked upon a project which was finished by a PhD student here, Martin Graham, who did really landmark work. And the message is that if you infuse, it implants and stays. It's a durable implantation, um, and about 60 to 80% of the donor flora uh, genetic codes are present in the recipient continuously. But notice it's not 100%. And we don't know why. I'd like to achieve 100% change because we could get 100% cure. So there's a long way to go, but it is durable. All right, very good. And are there any adverse effects associated with the fecal bacteria therapy? Well, theoretically, we should be transmitting infection every now and again. But uh, if we were the only place doing this and we had no reported side effects, it's hard to believe. 
doing the same thing and often they don't even screen. So this is why we publish the guidelines so that we can have everybody keeping to some rules. But again, not one complication or adverse effect associated with the fecal infusion um, itself. You do get adverse effects, say, from the insertion of the anal catheter, which may have been put in wrongly by somebody uh, in, in some institution. We've had some fissures as well. Uh, patients self-infusing at home sometimes damage their anus. You will get that. Um, but, you know, when you look at the fact that we colonoscope patients, we burn off and remove a polyp, and there is a wound inside the colon. And guess what is floating, floating over from now on? Species. And why don't we get septicemia? I don't know. It's how God made it. We just have to see what, you know, what actually happens in real life. Secondly, we do not do a transplant into the body. It goes into the colonic lumen, the hole, which goes from mouth to anus. That technically is not inside our body. It's outside our body. But our body surrounds it. So we are just one long donut, in a way, full of poo at the other end. So if we do infuse something that is infective, I mean, after all, that's what we're treating in the first place. We can just flush it out and infuse with someone else's flora. But there's a lot of safety in this. There's essentially no recorded side effects yet, and we're still waiting. Well, Dr. Brody, I really appreciate the generosity of your time today. I know that you have to uh, go off and help a patient in a couple of minutes. So how can listeners and others support your work and the work of the Center for Digestive Diseases? Oh, it's a little surprising. I wasn't sort of expecting anything like this, but I guess if somebody wants to contribute, especially where we're going towards the autism work, we are attempting to buy a freeze-drying machine um, with time, we just purchased the the, the freezer, uh, which gives us the minus 80, so the bacteria remain constant. But you know, we, we'd like to, uh, if someone does really want to contribute, it would help. We, we can afford it downstream, but um, you know, we'll work it through. And I, I usually generate my own research money um, from just working and, and earning from patients. That's exactly how it happens. But if someone wants to have their name stuck on a freeze drying machine, um, they can contact us. All right, very good. And again, that website is www.cdd.com.au. Dr. Brody, thank you for sharing this information about your groundbreaking work that is improving the health and quality of life for so many with such vast potential. Thank you very much. You're too generous and all the best. And to our listeners, we are so delighted that Dr. Brody will be joining us next May at the conference in Chicagoland. Again, please visit his website, www.cdd.com.au. My guests next week are Drs. Mary Jo Lang and David Morrison. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.